Welcome to Faith and Farmers, the Lakeshore Community Podcast, where we will learn the history of this beautiful area and hear the stories from the people who live here, love here, and serve here. I'm your host and friend, Seth Mulder. Let's go to work. All right, everybody, welcome back to Faith and Farmers, the Lakeshore Community Podcast. I'm so excited for this episode today. We have one of the Lakeshore Second Ward's uh, recently returned missionaries with us today, so let me introduce you to him. We have Lance Jensen with us. He is the youngest son of Terry and Kurt Jensen, who have been in Lakeshore for a long time. And he has two older brothers, Wyatt and Gavin, and we'll talk about them in just a little while. Um, And Lance loves the outdoors. He loves anything that has to do with hunting, fishing, being out in the wilderness. So we're going to learn a little bit more about Lance today. So welcome, Lance. Thank you. So let's start very first. When did your family move to Lakeshore? My family moved to Lakeshore two years before I was born. Um, so that would have been how, how many years ago? What? 20, 20, 22 years ago. Okay, 22 years ago. They moved here to Lakeshore um, just from Benjamin. They'd lived there for a few years. Oh, okay. Um, so all I've ever known is, is Lakeshore. So what what brought your parents originally to this area? Are they both from here or did they just love the idea of of being kind of out in rural country, what, what kind of brought them here initially? Do you know? So my dad grew up in Payson, so not far off. My mom grew up in Logan. Um, the whole country aspect was kind of foreign to her um, starting off. She didn't grow up doing a lot of the things we do here in Lakeshore or what my dad did. My dad grew up hunting. Okay. Um, so I think he always had the desire to, to be out in the, the fields. He grew up, my grandpa farms. Um, it was in Payson at the time, right by the high school, but now he lives out in Spring Lake. So as the world's grown, then the farms have kind of moved a little bit, but. So you, yeah, so you were born and raised here. You don't know home outside of Lakeshore. And for all of our listeners, you have, you have to visualize Lance is a country boy. (laughs) If you were to see what he has on right now, he has like an Aztec, like, Button up cowboy shirt, a big old belt buckle, some jeans. What are these cowboy shoes called? What are they? Hey, hey dudes. dudes. We got hey dudes on. We've got the short hair in the on the top, a little bit longer in the back, some facial hair. I mean, Lance is as country as it gets. He he was born and raised here. So we're gonna talk about that. Being raised in Lakeshore. That's all you've known. Mm-hmm. Tell me what are kind of your earliest memories of Lakeshore? What do you remember? Because to give our listeners just a little bit of a visual, Lance lives on 6400 South, which is the main road that takes you from Spanish Fork into Lakeshore. So you've seen this change as you've grown up. So what are your earliest memories of what Lakeshore looked like 20 years ago? Uh, had a lot less houses. Yeah. There's been a lot of houses built on 6400. Um, and all the way around Lakeshore, there's been quite a few houses go in. Um, I mean, growing up, some of my earliest memories are just in my backyard with friends. Go out shooting Tweety Birds, or by the time I was old enough, we'd go out and shoot doves. Now there's, the sizes built behind us now, so it's not as accessible to do that yeah. anymore. But 
Um, growing up, that's kind of what we did. We'd go over to Bevan Shirls and shoot doves out of their trees and just, just simple. Lots of playing in the fields and yes, just living the life. I love that. I love that. No better way to be raised as a boy, right? Oh yeah. Go outside, shoot birds, ride a four wheeler. You guys had go karts, right? I feel like I've seen a go kart. Oh no. No. Nope. Oh, just kidding. I made that up. Okay. <laughs> well, I feel like there was a go kart somewhere. Okay, so tell me, um, being raised in the Jensen home, what did that look like day to day? Like, what what are some things that you feel like? Let's talk about your dad for for a minute. What are things that you feel like your dad taught you very well from a young age? That's kind of a tough one. Um, respect has always been a big thing mm. in our house. Just make sure we respect each other and just be as good to people as we can. That's I don't ever remember my dad or my mom being disrespectful to any of us kids. Um, growing up, I... Kids are disrespectful sometimes. We, Me and my brothers fought, but that always kind of ended pretty quick because... It wasn't my, tolerated. My parents didn't tolerate that. So. Yeah. And something I really love and admire about just that aspect that you bring up is like, you weren't raised with a lot of females. You have no sisters, but your dad, he knew that was like such an important component to teach you boys. Oh, yeah. To be respectful, you know, especially to women, because you didn't you didn't get that growing up being able to interact with a sister. And so we'll talk about how your life's changed now with some sister-in-laws. But I, I love that aspect that both your parents really instilled that in you. I love that. What else? Um, always grown up going to church. Love for the Lord was a, a big thing. I remember just our family home evenings every Monday night. Uh, we were very consistent with those growing up. Now, not so much. It's once yeah. you get older, life gets kind of busy. But when we were younger, I remember reading stories. Um, lots of times it was the children Book of Mormon or the, the children's Bible stories. But just those moments and the, the love for the Lord has always been in our household. I don't remember a time where we haven't been active in the church. Wow. And what about your mom? Let's switch to your mom a little bit. Because she, you know, she's the only female in this house full of boys. Um, what do you admire most about the way that she raised you? Um, I feel like she taught me and my brothers a lot about sympathy. Um, oh, interesting. Just I, in I what guess way? controlling the emotions. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit. Like, tell me a little bit more about that. What? How, in what way? Well, my mom. She's a school counselor, so she's kind of always had that psychological way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But just growing up, I was a pretty emotional kid. Um, I used to hate saying that I I got emotional for um, when I was competitive. I'd get emotional if I lost. That was a a big thing. Um, whenever I'd fight, I'd get emotional. And I, I, my mom taught me that that was normal to have emotions. And I, I often grow up just thinking you have to be a man. You can't have emotions. But my mom was very good at letting us know that emotions are good and teaching us how to control those and guide them to work for good. Wow. I love that. What a powerful example that like, she took 
who each of you were and like loved all the components of that person and just said, let me help you be your best self. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that so much. I love that. What is one of your favorite, favorite family traditions? Do you have a lot of traditions in the Jensen family? I don't think we have a lot of traditions. I mean, thinking like the, the holiday traditions, we always have ice cream Christmas morning. That's something my mom grew up with. Okay. Um, just kind of kept with our family. That's always been fun. But do you know where that originated from? I think from my grandparents. Like just for fun? Mm-hmm. Okay. They used to do banana splits. Okay. Okay. Um, other than just like the usual kind of holiday traditions, hunting's a big factor in my family. Um, me and my dad and brothers, we... We've always hunted. My mom's hunted a little bit, but it's not really her, her thing. forte. Yeah. But she supports it, and that's where a lot of my memories growing up come from. from. So I'm going to ask you about that a little bit. We're going to dive into hunting uh, since you brought it up. Is there an experience growing up that you feel like, a hunting experience specifically, uh-huh. that you feel like you felt the Lord in your life, or you felt... Um, watched over or guided or had promptings from the Holy Ghost because we're a huge hunting family. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is how just being out in nature, being in, in God's creation, like allows for a natural flow of the spirit. I, I feel like mm-hmm. you do when you're, when you're in the mountains and you're by yourself or with your family or with a horse, it it's, just so natural to feel God's love. It's natural to like feel his presence. And I know that we've had so many experiences that were like, that was not a coincidence. That was either a tender mercy. It was a prompting from the Holy ghost. It was a confirmation that God is real. Do you have any of those experiences that you can think of? I can think of a lot. Um, I mean, growing when I was younger, I wouldn't say that the mountains had that effect on me. I kind of went just to hunt. Now, when I go hunt, it's it's amazing if I get to kill an animal, if I get to see animals, but that's not really the, the effect it has on me anymore. In high school, that's where I went to clear my head. Um, I'd just go hike. I'd say I was going shed hunting, but I'd just go hike and hike. and That's where a lot of my, I'd, I'd say, spiritual moments in my life kind of guided me. When I was, it was when I first started hunting alone. Um, I'd finally turned 16 and I could go out thinking, oh, it's going to be great to, to hunt on my own. I didn't realize how much I appreciated having my family there with me all the time while I hunted. But hunting alone for that first time really let me think. And I mean, I was, I was my own ruler in that moment. I could go where I wanted to go, do what I wanted to do, and just, I'd say every time you harvest an animal, you you feel that love from the Lord. Um, It's never just a, it's a, it's a very sobering experience to get an animal on the ground. I remember my first year, I was with my dad, and I killed this buck, tiny buck, but first year, I was 12 years old. And I remember walking up and I'm thinking, what have I done? I'd never really been that close. And 
just that that thank you. I, I remember saying a prayer um, in my head of, of gratitude, saying thanks for this opportunity. And that that's really where the love of hunting started, started. that moment. Oh, I can relate to that on so many levels. It's, it's so true. Um, so you talked about being 16 and kind of starting to go hunting alone and really starting to feel those spiritual promptings more. Was serving a mission always something that you knew you were going to do? Or did it take work for you to make that decision? If you would have asked me before high school, yes, absolutely. I, I knew I wanted to serve. Um, in high schools where it got a little bit shaky. had a lot of different aspects in my life. It wasn't that I was ever thinking, no, I don't want to go on a mission. It was just what... What am I missing if I do go on a mission? Was my thoughts. Hmm, interesting. And so I, I was always kind of knowing I would go, but I didn't really know until I really started studying and really getting my relationship with Jesus Christ. I always went to church, but I wasn't always present at church. That's what I figured out on my mission. So when when did you? F- when did you see that change in yourself of like no maybe maybe starting your own conversion or relationship with Jesus Christ? Well like when would you say that was? If you were to pinpoint like this is when I, I started realizing that if I want to do this and if this is what I'm gonna to commit to for the rest of my life, I've gotta develop this relationship and, and what did that look like in Lance's life? Um it's probably junior year of high school um towards the end I mean you have seminary I always went to seminary most of the time (laughs) um but I never really listened until I had Elijah Aubrey as my teacher and he was my Sunday school teacher too at at the ward and so I was like I can't come to to seminary and just sit on my phone like I would usually do because he knows me and knows my parents, knows what I should be doing. And that was the beginning of the change. Wow. Studying with Elijah was just amazing. He's, he's a great guy. Um, nothing but good words for him. But that is where I really started my own studies and coming towards the knowledge that I would go on a mission. So, so that was end of junior year. So you had all of senior year to kind of study and decide to serve a mission. Um, and you got your call at the end of senior year or after you had graduated? Uh, after I gra- had graduated. Um, I'm a younger birthday anyway. Oh, okay. okay. But I did put in my, my papers in like April. Kind of a crazy story because it was COVID. Okay. Um, Tell me about it. I, I decided... I think it was January. I went and met with Bishop Gordon at the time. And I wanted to go on a mission. So I wanted to start my papers. I know it usually takes a little bit of time. So I got everything set pretty quick. Um, And we turned my papers in on April 6th, which was exactly four months from the day I could leave. And that's just kind of... I thought it was going to be free and clear. I was going to wait two and a half weeks, get my call, and 
go on a mission in August. But I put in my papers and it was kind of all unknown because COVID was right in the heat of things at that moment and waited and waited and waited for about two and a half months to receive a call. And after that two and a half months, the state president told me that I couldn't go. He had received a, a letter saying anyone with asthma, I have asthma, that was the main reason they can't serve right now. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't want to send them. So I, I got told I couldn't go or I could go on a service mission. And in my mind, a service mission wasn't acceptable. I, I wasn't going to do that. Um, now I think it probably wouldn't be, wouldn't have been a bad deal. I, I served with some service missionaries on my mission and they make a big impact. So that was kind of a, a stopping point for me, I'd say. I was so ready to go until I got told I couldn't. I graduated. I didn't know what I was going to do with life. And I planned to just leave on a mission in August and I'd come back and I'd start school. But I wasn't going to leave in August anymore. And so I just, I didn't know what I was going to do for a couple months. Um, I was just kind of in the waiting game. And then I got to the point where I was going to sign up for school. And I just had that thought. By, the, by that time, in the months of waiting I had, I had pretty much told myself I wasn't going to go. Because they told me I couldn't go. I was ready. Going to do my best. But I guess it just wasn't for me, is what was going through my mind. Satan was working pretty hard to get me not to go. And I started looking at schools. I had been accepted into a couple of different schools that I could go to. And just had the thought to, to pray. And I pretty much told the Lord, like, I know that I should serve a mission. But if you don't answer and give me something in like two days, then I'm going to school. I'm, going to school. I'm not going to go right now. And it's a humbling moment because I've always been taught not to do that. You don't ask for a sign. That's not what you're here for. But I did. And the next day I was at a softball game watching my girlfriend at the time, her little sister, and the state president was there. And he came up to me and said, I received a letter or an email saying that anyone that wasn't able to go, if they put in, they'll probably send them. And so just in that matter of one day, the Lord humbled me and said, you're going to go. And so I left that ball game with my papers put in. I put them in with my state president at the, the softball game. And I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anyone um, because I didn't want everyone to wait and ask me for two, another two and a half months when I was going, when I was going to get my call. And I hit, I had to wait three and a half weeks still. So longer than the usual. And I, I got my call. This was at the beginning of September. So I was already, in my mind, I was already supposed to be gone. Um, but I got 
called to serve in the Dallas, Texas East Mission in December. I was supposed to leave December 29th. Wow. Wow. Lance, what would you say from just, we haven't even started talking about your actual mission, but just in, in that experience leading up to serving the mission, what would you say you learned the most? Satan works really hard when you're doing good. Yeah. When you have a moment that you can falter, that he has a, a moment to slide in, he's going to. And if you're not careful, then he's going to get to you. He almost got me not to go. I don't know where I'd be today if I didn't go on a mission. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I love I love that that's, you know, what you brought up about Satan. Something else that I had thought about as you were sharing your experiences, um, I think so often we are trying to do the right thing and we hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock and you're just like, is this really worth it anymore? And I think anyone that's had a relationship with God can say that they have had those moments where they are just pleading an answer pleading for some way for God to show them that he's aware of them and I know that with the moments that I've had those in my life there's a tender mercy that always follows yep. he finds a way to let each one of his children individually know that he's aware of them and that was evident in in your story so I love that thanks for sharing that so you go to Dallas Texas Tell us, what what is it like there? What what did you love about it? What are some experiences you could share with us? What are things that really changed you as a person by serving a mission? I know that's a really like tough question to answer, you know. That is a big one. Um, it wasn't what I expected Texas to be like. Um, thinking Texas before I left, I thought like West Texas. Oh which yeah, is like desert. Um, you know, that every Western movie you see. Yes. Um, and when I flew in, it was cloudy as could be the day I went. But, um, as soon as I touched down, there was trees everywhere. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't expect that. Um, but I love Texas. It's a great place. Not quite as great as Lakeshore. Um. It still hasn't won me over, but um, the experiences I had there were life changing. Was sure. was it? What was the mission? What you thought it would be right when you got there? What were some of the challenges that you had when you first went out? The biggest challenge I had, I was called Spanish speaking. Okay. And so I had six weeks of MTC here at home, and then went out, and when the, we got assigned areas. I was in an English area. And so the six weeks of MTC was, Gonzo. at the moment, I thought, just a waste. Um, I was so clueless on what to do in English because I had focused so much on doing it in Spanish, I didn't even know how to say what I wanted to say in English. And so that was a big kind of struggle for me in the beginning. Um Another struggle just from the start was just being outgoing. Um, I was always kind of shy growing up. 
not necessarily because I'm scared of people, just because if I don't have anything important to say, I wasn't going to say it. But as a missionary, you kind of have to do that. So that was kind of a, a wake-up call for me, um, just talking to people. Yeah. Do I need to pause for a second? Pause just for a second. Yeah, it's getting dark. Sorry. Hold on. <laughs> just stop yours for a second. <coughs> oh, okay. I just have to edit it. Just remember 24 minutes so we can, we can tell. Okay. That's weird that that all of a sudden... <coughs> Did, when you first went out, did you get um, homesick at all? The first time I called home, I did. That was for hard. Sure. Um, just being in the mission, it was fine. I didn't really think, like, I thought about family, but I knew that's what I decided. But when I called home and saw my parents' faces on the, the FaceTime, I was just kind of, oh my goodness. Like You had realized you were not in Lakeshore anymore. Yeah. I'm a, a lot of miles away, and and I'm not going to see them again for two years. So it was that first, the first couple of times calling home was really tough. Um, but that got over pretty quick. Yeah. Um, you get caught up in the mission, and you kind of lose a lot of that that focus. There, there was some moments in my mission for sure when I, I was really homesick. There was two weddings that went on while while I was yeah, gone, yeah, and that was pretty tough to to miss both of those weddings, but it was worth it. Yeah, I always I, I thought a couple times of coming home for those weddings, and my brothers were super supportive. They they both were like, "No, you're not gonna be there. That's fine." Um, my one sister in law, Kendra, she. She was kind of frustrated. She was like, why can't you be there? But that was what I was there for. I wasn't there to come home and see a wedding. Yeah. Um, some things you had to sacrifice. Yeah. That's a that's a good point that you bring up because you you are from a smaller family, right? Three boys. Mm -hmm. um, and so any milestone in this family is a big deal. There's yeah. just the three of you. And so to miss both brothers' weddings... Um, why you were serving, that would be hard. Yeah. That, that's a real emotion, right? Like mm -hmm. these are the, the, the two brothers that I have and I missed a huge, a huge milestone in their life. But you're right. It, it takes sacrifice sometimes to follow what the Lord needs us to do. Wow, what a great episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out the next installment of Faith and Farmers, the Lakeshore Community Podcast. I'm your host and friend, Seth Mulder. Until next time, keep up the good work.